Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. Quality people, welcome to episode number 33 of the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and I am so excited to introduce to you today's guest. But first, I wanted to share with you all a quick update and a gift of sorts. This past week on Saturday, September the 7th, I celebrated my birthday by, of course, working on another upcoming workshop that I'll be delivering to a local hospital here in Atlanta. While doing so, I had the idea to give away free access to a few of my online QI training courses as a birthday gift from me to all my quality people. So if you're interested at all in gaining access, please feel free to shoot me a message through LinkedIn where I am most active with my social media updates, or you can email me directly at jarvis.gray, G-R-A-Y, at the-qcc.com. I've had several listeners and colleagues plug in with this offer when I first posted it on LinkedIn last week, and I hope that if you haven't already, please contact me about gaining access for you or a team member. For today's show, it's a true honor and pleasure to introduce Mr. Anthony Davis. Anthony currently serves as the Senior Director for Quality Strategy at UPMC Health Plan in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Here, he leads a staff of 60-plus that are responsible for all state and federal quality improvement initiatives and state submissions for 3.5 million covered lives across UPMC's Medicare, Medicaid, CHIP, commercial, and exchange product lines. Anthony began his career at a small rural-based health plan in Salem, Oregon, building QI infrastructure support in the form of quality and performance improvement projects and regulatory reporting requirements. Today, Anthony is a quality improvement professional with 14-plus years of experience building quality improvement initiatives across multiple regions of the United States. You'll hear Anthony highlight much of his career path in our episode, but one thing that we did not touch on was that he is also an assistant professor at George Washington University, where he teaches a master's course in healthcare quality improvement. Here in episode number 33, Anthony teaches us the value of doing what's right, even when nobody's looking. He introduces us to healthcare quality from a health plan point of view. He shares his passion and lessons learned in promoting health literacy. He promotes a mindset for quality people to always know your numbers. He shares his aha moment with an exceptional introduction to his quality foursquare. And just a heads up, be prepared to take notes on this one. Both Anthony and I geek all the way out in our conversation about natural language processing and its potential impact on the future of healthcare. And you'll glean his great advice on how to align your career priorities in a true make or break fashion. Anthony, I honestly can't thank you enough for joining the show and sharing such a fun and I am proud to say totally geeked out conversation. I hope that things are going incredibly well for you and your team at UPMC and know that you have a friend and colleague here in Atlanta that's ready to jump in and add value to you or anyone in your network when needed. Quality people, I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed the discussion with Anthony. 
And remember to email me directly or connect via LinkedIn if you'd like access to the three free online healthcare quality improvement training courses. Thank you as always for plugging in and we'll be back next week with another quality guest. Anthony, are you ready to share with some quality people? I am ready to share with some quality people. Wonderful. Well, Anthony, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get the momentum going. So I would love if you could share a favorite quote or a favorite mindset, but also share with us how do you apply it on a daily basis? Sure, absolutely. Um, So one of my favorite quotes about quality actually came from Henry Ford, and he said, uh, quality means doing it right when no one is looking. And I feel like especially working in the quality space, um, it kind of feels a little bit like that all the time in my day-to-day work and what I do is that whenever everything is running right in the healthcare space and nothing is broken and everything is running perfectly planned, no one really knows what you do. Um, and that just takes a ton of effort and work to keep so many different facets of healthcare running from a quality perspective that when everything breaks and falls apart, though, everybody comes running to the quality person first, it feels like, and said, okay, what happened? What broke? Why aren't things working? And so in terms of how I run my teams, work with the people around me, I always come at it from that perspective of, you know, when quality is done right, it's really kind of like you're behind the scenes running everything and kind of in the shadows a little bit, but you're keeping the whole organization afloat and everything running forward. All right, perfect. So what I think I just heard you describe there is we are healthcare's version of Batman. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it, actually. I'm still waiting for my little cue for quality signal to to come out of the woodworks. I know, right? Awesome. Uh, Well, Anthony, thank you so much for joining in on this show. Um, You know, you are a a person that just as I've been um, exploring different potential guests through LinkedIn, that's really my hub for doing all my research. I came across your profile, and I was just really impressed. Um, by everything that I saw there. Um, So I appreciate you saying yes to the invitation to come on and would love to um, really get into my first question for you, and that's uh, wanting to explore your introduction to quality. Would love for you to share what led you into this career path, how did you get started, and if you could also maybe give us a glimpse into the day-to-day world that you live in. Yeah, absolutely. So I started my career in quality kind of by by mishap, actually. Um, I had just started my courses for my undergraduate degree in college and and healthcare administration and uh, just got lucky enough to really jump in right off the bat with a small independent physician group named WVP Health Authority based out of Salem, Oregon. And they had just received a contract to do Medicare and Medicaid services um, throughout the uh, central part of, of Oregon. And I was their very first quality hire that they ever had. So I I kind of joke that my very first day on my job was really uh, somebody came into my office and they sat down and they handed me a NCQA code book, a set of HEDIS specifications in ICD-9 manual at the time and said, congratulations, figure out how to do all of this. And so for the next six years, I really built sort of from the ground up um, the start of what would have been a pretty robust quality program, hired some people into that program. Uh, and just love the work, but ultimately found that I, I wanted to keep growing and, and see what else was out there. So about six years after doing that, I ended up working in Washington, D.C. at NCQA, uh, National Committee for Quality Assurance, uh, running most of their 
special needs programs around healthcare accreditation for SNPs. And again, love that world. Uh, still, still actually do some consulting work with um, NCQA on the side as a surveyor, but ultimately wanted to get back into the private sector and ended up switching and going over to United and Optum, where I ran most of their Medicare STARS quality programs for the West region. So I had several markets I worked in, uh, including Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, uh, Utah, Idaho, several others. And did so well in that role that ended up moving to Optum and helped them do some of this quality work from a national perspective, um, running NCQA programs across the country. Uh, and then one more stint later, ended up in Chicago in Molina Healthcare, uh, running as a, a director there with a team of 30 people in a Medicaid plan going statewide. And then ultimately, finally, one year later, here I am at uh, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Health Plan, uh, running the quality team, a staff of about 55, 56 individuals, and I am now responsible for all HEDIS, NCQA, state regulatory requirements, data, analytics, kind of have the whole spectrum of internal facing quality for the health plan under me now. So a lot of, a lot of words, a lot of places. I've been all around the country these last 15 years. Well, I love it, too. It's a lot of acronyms uh, from NCQA <laughs> to HEDIS. Um, so let me, let me ask you this, Anthony. Just um, I, I don't know this to be a fact, I guess, but at least from some of the feedback that I've gotten from our show being deployed over the last few weeks now, I get the feeling that a lot of our listeners are probably more hospital-based versus health plan-based. So um, would love for you, if you could, take a, a, an additional few minutes, um, share with us some of those acronyms, and, and how would they differ from maybe, you know, your traditional joint commission model, NCQA being kind of its comparable cousin, I guess, but, um, you know, maybe share just a little exposure for the folks who may not know. And again, I, I'm, I'm just kind of making a base assumption there, but we'd love for you to kind of give us a, a quick and quick overview on that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the great part about working in quality, right, is that you can think you have every acronym figured out and then somebody throws 60 at you, they have no idea what they just said and it sounds oh, like they're cool. speaking a foreign language. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, so he, HEDIS is the, uh, it's the Health Effectiveness Data and Information Set. It's a set of about 66 different measures that are being reported by most of the health plans throughout the country currently. Um, it's all run by the National Committee for Quality Assurance, who has an entire measure-based team that conducts research on all of these different measures. So an example of one of these measures might be something like uh, comprehensive diabetic care for patients that have had retinopathy screening or, you know, something along those lines where you're really looking for an outcome or preventative-based measure um, associated with the care that your health plan delivers. And there's so many reimbursement programs, both at the national and state level now, tied to these uh, different HEDIS measures that health plans have started to take it incredibly seriously over the past 10 years. And so at almost every health plan in the country, there's sort of somebody like me or a team of people like me that just sit around all day long thinking about how can we make our clinical initiatives, our operations, uh, and all of the data and work that we do just as efficient and streamlined as possible to maximize those rates. Wonderful. That was actually a really, really good overview. So perfect. I appreciate you going, you know, going along with me there. Um, Anthony, I'm going to move us into our next question, and this is a question that I've started calling our dark place question, but would love for you <laughs> to take us back on a, a part of your career journey that you would actually consider to be the worst within your, your journey as a healthcare quality leader, but 
as you share that story, really take us to the moments that you were going through, the decisions that you uh, found yourself in, but try to turn that moment around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'll kind of go to my first one, which was probably to me one of the most humbling and disappointing moments in any of the work that I had done up until this point. So right after I had left WVP Health Authority to go work at NCQA in Washington, D.C., um, there was a, a project that we got tasked with around special needs plans, which was the development of health literacy standards. So they were really looking at, you know, from the perspective of is something appropriate for a member from a cultural, linguistic, age-appropriate perspective, really starting to embed measures in special needs plans that were meant to look at and assess how well a health plan creates materials and information that are for health literacy. So I spent the better part of uh, probably about two years with a small team there uh, developing a set of health literacy standards, only to have them presented to CMS uh, and essentially, at the end of that conversation, CMS said, nope, no thank you, and just kind of threw that by the wayside. And, you know, it kind of very much felt like two years of work just kind of down the drain, like a dagger in the heart on a really big passion project of mine that I was really excited to put so much effort into and to see lifted off the ground. Um, and ultimately, just kind of felt really, really crushed after seeing so much time, energy, and effort just get kind of thrown down uh, at that point. What was really interesting, though, is now years later, as you start looking at things like patient-centered medical homes and accountable care organizations, you're starting to see this resurgency in a lot of these health literacy areas and starting to see standards and measures by CMS and NCQA that are actually aimed at health literacy. And it's interesting in opening up and looking at some of those, I can see how a lot of the work that I had initially done years ago is now starting to kind of make its way forward. And for me, the kind of switch was really understanding that, you know, you can spend years building and doing something only to see it just suddenly come to fruition when maybe you're not even involved. And so even though it was kind of one of my most down points, years down the road now, I see the value in what that research brought because you're starting to see health literacy really kind of take center stage in a lot of health plans now. Well, so I love that story, and I've said it so many times through my experience that a lot of the work we do as quality professionals just really seems like we are um, planting seeds. And so it sounds like you may have gotten caught in that scenario where you were just planting the seeds (laughs) for where you knew the industry should go or that focus should go, and uh, and now it's coming to resurge. Um, Let me ask you this. What – What are some of the ways as, you know, within your focus around that health plan, quality improvement, the analytics and the regulatory work, what's the connection between your local work and then connecting back to groups like NCQA? And is there a collaborative relationship where the groups, you know, are willing to learn and share information? You know, this is what we're seeing in real life versus the CMS regulatory requirements that are being designated? How how collaborative is that? You know, I would say for the most part, it's fairly collaborative. There's always room for improvement, especially when you're talking about relationships between, you know, groups developing measures as contractors for CMS or any really federal or state regulatory agency. But I would say overall, uh, you know, NCQA and CMS both, both do a fairly decent job about soliciting health plan feedbacks, not always the feedback they want to hear, and not everything the health plans always want get incorporated, but I would say that when the outcry from the industry is large enough, it does tend to push NCQA in certain directions. Um, 
before they make any massive changes to their health effective data and information set or any of their regulatory standards, they always have a public comment period. And that's where some of these trade associations like AHIP and ACHP from a health plan side uh, have really done a great job of bringing sort of that lobbying power with the health plans behind them to be able to say, look, here's what's realistic at the end of the day that we think makes sense here. And, and here's some of the things where you might be going a little too far, a little too fast. Wonderful. That's uh, that's very encouraging that, that the collaborative relationship exists. Um, the majority of my career has been spent on the on the hospital side, and now I am working with more health plan work, but um, it, it hadn't always been collaborative on the hospital side. So I, I'm glad as I continue to learn the health plan world that that, that relationship is there and it's continuing to grow or, you know, slow improvements, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that it's uh, it definitely is always room for opening that dialogue up more, but I would say that in terms of, you know, where it's heading and, and how it's going, it, it's overall working fairly well. All right, wonderful. And, Anthony, for my next question for you then, would like to dig us up out the dark place just a little bit, even though it sounds like it was a great learning experience, and, and if nothing else, a great I told you so kind of moment for you. Um, <laughs> but would love for you to share with our quality people, our listeners, one tip or a tool or a tactic that you found works very well when you're building those intimate connections within the project teams that you've led. But, uh, again, for this, share with us, you know, what that tip or tool or a tactic is, but how do you go about applying it within those project teams? Yeah, I know that's, that's a fantastic question. I think at the end of the day, you know, as as quality people, we are so bound by the teams around us. We can have the greatest idea, but without getting buyback from the people around you, it's incredibly difficult to get anything done as, as one person in an organization. And so the one thing that really comes to mind there is having trust and faith in the people around you and showing them that you have trust and faith in them. So I have a team of about four different directors that report to me right now who are just phenomenal at what they do. Um, and so when I sit in a room with them and we're trying to solve a problem, the most important thing to me is to make sure that every time one of them has an idea, an opinion, wants to go a certain direction, regardless of whether I'm agreeing with it or not, is that they feel validated and supported in having that opinion. I, I always think of it in terms of, you know, um, people are really a company's greatest asset and resource. And as quality leaders out there, you know, we're filling our ranks with some of the smartest people out there. And so to have those people on your team, I mean, half the time I feel like I have people there that are telling me how I can do my job better, which is incredibly appreciated. So having that team and making them feel like what they say actually matters, I'd rather have everybody in that room disagreeing with me than, than have five people sitting there saying yes all the time because they don't want to speak up. Wonderful. I love it. Um, so let's talk about this, and I think it, it kind of touches on maybe what you're sharing with your example there to get that, that appropriate level of buyback from the teams you're working in. Um, let's talk about maybe situational leadership. Um, I, I've had a chance myself to also manage uh, a large number of staff. I took over as the emergency department director for a period of time. I had over 150 staff members, and the smallest team I ever managed was two but the one thing that I've always found is that situational leadership helped me out, you know, more than any other dynamic that I've learned throughout my leadership and definitely throughout my educational experiences. Um, what are some thoughts that you would have around situational leadership as you shared there, pulling your teams together, getting all their 
thoughts and buy-in and opinions and so forth. How how would you connect the dots with that and the success that you've had with your teams? Yeah, you know, so much of that, especially from a situational perspective, and I really think about it like you know, you've got your team around you all the time to build different projects and things, but what happens when you need to go outside of your department, pull other leaders together and take charge of something where you don't have necessarily all influence and all control? It's easy with my team to be able to say, we're going X direction. But when I have to pull nine people into a room and say we're going X direction, when now I've got a little bit of a problem if they're not all on my team or working with me. So that's where I always kind of feel that meeting people where they are is just so critical. Um, anytime I'm working with, whether it be our, our director for pharmacy or one of our different product line teams in Medicare or Medicaid, they've got as many issues and concerns as I do. So one of the things that I had learned really early is always know your numbers and always try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. So anytime I'm sitting with one of our pharmacy teams or a more clinical focused person, it's sort of that mindset going in there of if I'm trying to accomplish something and build something, I need to meet this person where they are. Maybe it's a medical director who's trying to launch a new ER and inpatient initiative. Um, so how is my work lining up with what they care about? And so I find that meeting people halfway or showing them how your work can overlap or support theirs helps bridge that gap. So often you're kind of talking at each other when you're in meetings like that. Um, kind of switching that dialogue from talking at each other to talking with each other, I think, is just so important. So that that's wonderful. And I, I love some of the key points you had there around knowing your numbers and as quality people. Uh, that, that's like one of those things probably right there at the base expectations of the work we do. Know your stuff. Know your numbers. Uh, meeting people where they are, wonderful advice, um, something it took me a while to figure out, and once it finally made sense, I think it helped me out um, with my leadership, with just my overall project management and people management skills, so that's wonderful feedback, Anthony. And then uh, the last one, try to walk in their shoes. Um, I, I had a mentor yeah. share with me that there's a reason for everything, like no matter what, you know, the pushback or the support, whatever you're getting from your project teams, there's a reason for everything. And so walking in their shoes is a great way to see their point of view. Um, so wonderful. Spot on, my friend. Yeah. It's interesting, too, from a, a data and knowing your numbers perspective. I feel like I walk in a room now and people almost think, like, I, I have committed these numbers to memory. <laughs> so I, I can walk into a room and say our breast cancer screening rate is 76% and here's our numerator and denominator. But what people don't realize is that that's weeks of research and building and, and analyzing data and staring at those numbers day in and day out to know the trends where they go. But I mean, for all intent and purposes, I, I would rather just people think that I have a photographic memory and have committed everything there. So we'll just go with that one. Awesome. Back, back to those superhero par powers that quality people come with, right? <laughs> exactly. Awesome. All right, perfect. Well, Anthony, next question I have for you, if you could please Share one of your best aha moments that you've had as a quality professional, but then again, you know, really walk us through the idea and the situation that was going through that led to you having that idea. And most definitely, if you were able to turn that uh, that idea, that aha moment into a personal or professional success. Sure. Um, so this is, it's interesting, this question, because when I was really thinking about it, um, what kind of popped into my mind is the model that I use when going about building anything anytime I go into an organization or anytime I launch an initiative. So very early on in my career, I was really trying to figure out what is my philosophy of QI look like? So what is my approach to things? How do I handle it? 
how do we go about just launching a basic program or conducting an analysis? And I remember people constantly complaining about four things. Uh, one of those things was everyone always has a problem with we can't get our data. Everyone that you ever talk to always says, I, I, we don't have good data on that. We can't find information on it. We don't know what the numbers are. So data was the first one. The other thing I had always heard was, well, how do you get the member to engage with somebody? Or what are we doing with the member? What are we doing with our patient? So this kind of member-patient piece was the other one. Uh, and then there's always the world of, of being a provider. And on the health plan side, there's sort of this constant push to really engage your doc, work with them better, work with your groups better, um, and really help support them. So the provider side was the other. And the last thing that I always heard is everybody saying, well, we can't all get organized, or we've got 35 meetings on the same subject line. How do we stop that? So under that, what I kept hearing was this repetitious theme, and it's now become my quality four square, I call it. Uh, and in my quality four square, there is a data pillar, there is a provider pillar, there is a member pillar, and there is an organizational alignment pillar. So that's become my philosophy. And so even though it seems simple in this little four square, almost every intervention or program or anything I build now is always done under those four areas. So if we wanted to increase a rate like colorectal cancer screening, how do you engage a member on something like that when it's such a stigmatizing thing to have done to begin with? And there's so many ways to go about it, sick kits, DNA tests, et cetera. Uh, from the provider side, do you have incentives or programs? Is this a difficult measure to code for? How can you support the provider on that end? Uh, from the data side, are, are you getting all of these codes captured? Do you know who your members are? Do you know who you're targeting? And then from that organizational alignment side, do we have nine meetings on colorectal cancer screening, or can we be repurposing certain meetings to make this a key initiative we focus on? So now take that idea, apply it to those 66 HEDIS measures I was talking about earlier, and that's sort of how I go about building a program from the ground up and really addressing things on a regular basis. All right. So, Anthony, the one thing that this podcast does not come with is a rewind button. So uh, what you just shared there with your aha moment, I think, is pure gold. And I would love for you to share those four, <laughs> those four quadrants of your quality four square again, because I, I know folks are, are probably like, ooh, a quality four square. Let me rewind. I don't want them to rewind. <laughs> Go ahead and break it down for them one more time, if you could, please. Yeah, you got it. My, my, my four square focus is number one on the data, number two on the provider, number three on the member, and number four on the organizational alignment. Wonderful. Data, provider, member, slash patient, um, and, and then organizational alignment. Um, that is awesome. Yep. That's, a, that's a really solid aha moment. Um, so I'm glad you had that one and was able to share it on the show. Anthony, next question I have for you, and this is personally just kind of one of my fun questions to always pick the brains of other quality professionals, but I would love for you to share what are some changes that are taking place right now across the healthcare industry that you are personally excited about, and what role do you see quality professionals playing to promote it or to support its longevity? Yeah, it's it's so exciting in my mind to see so much changing from a technology perspective. And really one thing in particular has got me really excited with some pilot projects I've been building. And that's around using things like natural language processing to help get better clinical information and clinical data from record systems, EHRs, and things of that nature. So give you a kind of a good example of one of these. Uh, at UPMC right now, we're actually piloting some areas around natural language processing to help with clinical data abstraction. So said differently, we've been focusing on 
really colorectal cancer screening rates. So using a natural language processing system to build clinical document repositories and then run this sort of NLP technology or natural language processing technology over top of all of these different documents that you collect. And being able to scan for keywords like adenoma detection, uh, colonoscopy, sigmoid scope, fit kit, et cetera. And what it really does is give you leads into what amount to thousands of pages of patient medical records and be able to easily pull out key phrases, data, and information. So when I think about how healthcare is changing to be so much more interconnected and everybody out there is constantly talking about better information from health information exchanges, data sharing agreements with docs, hospitals, providers, health plans, um, and I start thinking about roles like that of having these larger document repositories and the technology that you can put over top of these document repositories, that's the kind of thing when I see that work being done that gets me really excited about where healthcare is heading. All right, so Anthony, what I what I just heard you share there is like the inner the inner nerd, and I mean that with all the respect and love. It is <laughs> the, the inner nerd just came out of you. So natural language processing for our listeners, and you know, please keep me honest because this is not my strength, but but it's part of my inner nerd as well. Um, what you're talking about there is having um, uh, the use of big data analytics. You guys probably have, I don't know if you either purchased this or you developed it internally, but you're probably, you know, applying a bunch of crazy algorithms to detect all of those sequences of information and pulling it out. Um, and very much somewhere on the verge of, like, artificial intelligence being applied to the work you're doing. Am I am I kind of heading in the right direction? You are, you are spot on. No, I, I think you're spot on. That is exactly it. It is basically training a tool to look at certain phrases to try to find where key pieces of information is. So, you know, imagine having, you know, Bob Jones's chart in front of you and needing to find a simple thing like an A1C result. Um, finding that A1C result could take one person or a team of trained abstractors, you know, 30, 40 minutes of scanning this 500-page medical record. But with some of the way technology is working now and some of the platforms coming out there, it's just as easy as click the search button and, and find that information kind of right off the bat. And then think about kind of putting a data layer, like you had mentioned, over top of that. So not only being able to find where that is, but then be able to report on it and actually create data out of what those little those little tidbits are teaching you and showing you. And if you look around the industry now, uh, you know, NCQA has really embraced looking at some of this area. CMS has published several papers on natural language processing for, for healthcare data. Uh, and, and on top of that, you've got some of these large um, quality system vendors like Innovalon that are really starting to embed NLP over top of some of their technologies. And a lot of these other private companies now, such as UPMC, is really kind of taking this to heart and trying to build a whole infrastructure around how we do this kind of work better. Now, that that is awesome. So I, I didn't share with you earlier, but in a previous life, I was also a corporate director for quality and analytics, and I came into that role truly with a quality background, and I slowly built up my analytics knowledge. Um, I, in no way could I yeah. say expertise, but it, it you know learned <laughs> enough to be dangerous, right? Um, can yep. you maybe share again with our quality folks? But you know this is a show really for healthcare leaders. Um, you know, ma no matter the background, whether it's quality analytics, administrative, and so forth. But 
what are some of the backgrounds and skill sets to, um, you know, to consider if they're thinking about things like natural language processing and, you know, the things that we're kind of geeking out about right now, but what what are some of the things that they yeah, may want to yeah. pick up as these types of technologies continue to emerge within the healthcare scene? Yeah, so first of all, I will say that I respect the heck out of every data person out there because to your point, my background is nowhere near SQL writing or database administration or anything like that. Whenever my data teams talks about transitioning from Oracle 11C to 12C, I just kind of glaze over a little bit and think to myself, my God, I'm so happy I have you here. Um, that being said, though, learning some of the bases behind how some of this works and some of the ins and outs of it is so important. Um, from a database side, you know, just really understanding if you're going to run some kind of giant processing system, think of it kind of like a base layer cake, right? The layer of your cakes have to be built the right way. So that's really when you talk about like a data repository, you're just talking about kind of layering your data in a way that really makes sense to you and really makes sense to what you're trying to accomplish with it. So by building, you know, a complex thing like a document repository is really just saying, hey, look, we're going to take all of our X-ray notes. We're going to store them over here. And we're going to take all of our lab results and we're going to store them over here. That's something kind of simple that you can think about. Um, and that really just becomes kind of like this layer cake where you're putting on all these different documents on top of each other. And then think of it like you're almost running a, if you ever go into Word and you type in control find and you're looking for a word in there, it's kind of what you're doing, except with a really smart team of people that have trained this system to look for specific words and phrases. So if you think of it like that, like you're building a cake and then running Microsoft Word over it, that's the best way I can think about explaining it. But just feeling comfortable with what's happening there is just so important and can just go such a long ways towards finding people that are talented that can build these types of systems for you. All right, awesome. Now that is a really, really great overview. And um, so for me, I, I, I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia, and one of the uh, hacks that I, you know, kind of put into place for myself personally was uh, going to meetup.com and finding analytics group meetups that were happening all yeah. across the city and just plugging in. And, and to your point, you know, just talking to these folks and saying, okay, so you guys said something called Hadoop. What is that? And, you know, just slowly <laughs> but surely learning more and more and piece by piece. Um, so no, that that's just awesome. Um, I love what you guys are doing yeah, there with with the NLP work. And I would just say, you know, keep a good line of communication as executive leaders to your your young college kids out there that are getting out with computer science and database administration degrees. You know, we, we don't think about tapping into people like that often in healthcare, but those are the people that are really taking this and, and building and doing a lot of this NLP work far outside of, of the healthcare space. And kind of similarly, for young people that are looking to get into healthcare that have some of these data backgrounds, I don't think they realize how much of a market there is in healthcare right now for that type of work and that type of analytics and data to, to happen. So, you know, I would say for the other executive leaders out there, really keeping a, a close line into, into who your computer and your data people are out there and where they fit into your healthcare model. And, and that was actually a perfect setup and segue for the next question that I have for you, uh, which is uh -oh, how okay. can – no, 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 you were spot on with your, your initial feedback there, but – uh, how can the healthcare industry become 
that attractive place for these ambitious, talented, quality professionals mm-hmm. and analytics professionals to to the point of what we're talking about now, but um, for them to either come in and start their careers or to grow their careers? You know, that's, a, that's an amazing question because there are just, you know, we kind of said it earlier with the, the whole Batman reference, we're kind of jacks of all trades, master of none, and when everything works perfectly in shadows, no one kind of sees the work that we do all the time. But in reality, there's so many different paths to quality if you think about it. It can go from a, you could be a regulatory person, love the compliance end of things. You could love the data side. Um, You'd be like me and kind of a little ADD on everything and just want to touch all of it at the same time. So I would say for the younger people that are getting into it and as executive leaders that are bringing younger people into leadership roles, you know, uh, make sure to connect them to a little bit of everything. Um, I, I had a, a leader early on in my career when I was working at WVP Health Authority that really let me touch a little bit of all of it. Uh, and that's what really kept me in quality and wanting to stay with it and not leave it is because I really did feel like it fit my personality perfectly because if I wanted to wear my regulatory compliance hat one day, I could put that on. If I wanted to put on my data hat the next day, I, I could also do that. And so I, I think that as quality leaders are coming into the field, letting them know that regardless of where their main skill sets lie, um, there's a role for them in that quality space, and it can touch just a, a monumental amount of things. Well, and if it's okay, I, I want to second everything you just said, share there. Um, I was fortunate when I first came into healthcare as well that I had a leader that didn't necessarily kind of put me into one spot in, in support of the teams that I worked with. Um, I was, for at least the first two, maybe three years of my healthcare career, I was kind of the free agent. I had a chance to work starting in the emergency department and moved into imaging, and I, I just bounced around the, the facility that I supported, and I touched a little bit of everything. And, and I'll, I'll make this contrast. I think this is where quality professionals, quality improvement professionals at least may differ from some of our clinical colleagues. Uh, clinical care can be the very standardized care process. It's the repetitive, same thing every single day where quality improvement differs with every single thing we do. Um, and and that exposure is going to be key to, you know, especially the, the talented, the ambitious, the, those quality professionals that want to solve every problem that exists under the roof of that facility. Um, that's a really solid way. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. So it's kind of like giving these young people the the keys to the candy shop and saying, uh, go, go play with a little bit of everything. Absolutely. All right. Anthony, if you are okay with it, let me ask a really quick pause. I just need to mute and to thank my wife for putting our baby to bed because I literally just threw the baby at her. Um, and I will edit all of this out of our show, but just want to say thank you, babe. Thank you. Uh, all right. Sorry. I'm back. Um, all right. So, Anthony, you are doing great. You are on the money with so many of the um, the, the points that you shared. And what I want to do now is move us into what we call the two-minute drill for our interview. This is very much our rapid-fire Q&A session, but wanted to take a pulse check and see if you're ready to roll. I'm I'm good to go. Let's do it. All right. Perfect. Well, Anthony, can you tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best day in and day out as a quality professional? Uh, yeah, probably my team and just the amount of faith and trust that we've all all placed in each other. I, I think at the end of the day, what, what helps inspire me 
is the buy-in from my team and the passion that they bring to work as much as I do. So at the end of the day, I think that they're probably the, the biggest inspiration to, to me succeeding in my work. Wonderful. I love it. And what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? I have two, actually. So the first one I kind of mentioned earlier, which is know your numbers. Um, somebody told me that a long time ago. I cannot remember for the life of me who that was. I like to walk into a meeting as the most prepared person. And like I said, kind of the human abacus over here, I want to know all the numbers. And the other one was always make sure that your priorities align with what your bosses are. Um, so many conversations I've had with, with leaders that I've worked with uh, have gotten derailed just because of simple not, not prioritizing the work collectively and as a whole. Wonderful. I love that. And that, that second point you shared there sounds like a career maker or a career breaker. So for our our younger quality people especially, definitely heed those words of advice there. Anthony, do you have a mentor that has made an impact on your career? Yeah, you know, I've learned a little bit from everybody that I've come across, but there's one person in particular that very early on, uh, her name is Dr. Nancy Seifert. She's a professor at Oregon State University. Uh, she, well, I guess former professor, she's now retired. Um, she was probably one of the most influential people early on in my career, so much so that before I have made several changes in the past with careers, I've called her for guidance and advice because she just seems to sort of understand my ambitions, where I want to go. Um, I would say that she's probably single-handedly helped me make more decisions about my career progression than anybody else has. Wonderful. And let me maybe spin off of that question just a little bit, but in terms of finding a career, somebody to help navigate your decisions about, you know, life or career, what are some characteristics that you personally look for to to give that person, you know, the, the trust that you may have in them for those decisions? You know, somebody who's a subject matter expert, which I find that the higher up you get in healthcare can be so rare to find. Um, you have a lot of leaders who have such a general amount of knowledge that finding somebody who is a true subject matter expert in certain areas is so amazing. It's kind of like finding a diamond in the rough a little bit. So I would say when you find a subject matter expert that you can learn from, really nurture that and really, really kind of milk that for all that it's worth. Wonderful. I love it. And again, thanks for throwing, uh, for going with me as I throw extra questions at you here and there. But Next question I have for you is, could you please share your number one Internet resource that helps you to be the most productive, or it could be your number one app on your mobile device that helps you be, to be the most productive? So this will be my, my fun, geeky answer here, which is I have a link on my my computer and my, my phone to the NCQA website, which has the list of all of the past health effective data and, and information set measures in the background. So when I say know your numbers, I, I really take that to heart. So I can now be the guy in the room who just goes to a website and can pull up basically five years worth of healthcare quality data from all over the country. So I would say that that website has single-handedly saved me more times than I care to admit. All right. That, that is definitely something only a true geek or a fan of quality would appreciate right there. Uh, <laughs> I'll share this with you. If you get the chance to go back to episode number one, our first guest, uh, Maria France Abernathy, also shared that one of the things she's passionate about right now is healthcare compliance and healthcare regulatory kind of considerations, things she's working through. Um, so you two are the only two have, who have ever shared the, the passion for those things. So uh, it's pretty awesome. Let's see, next question I have for you, Anthony, is could you please share? with our quality people, one professional association 
and one professional conference that you think would be a value add? Sure. Um, so from my perspective, at least on the plan side, um, for, for executive leaders out there that are looking for sort of support to learn more things that are going on on the health plan side, um, ACHP, the Alliance for Community Health Plans, uh, has just been a really fantastic organization for me to work with and be a part of since my time at UPMC. It's a lot of smaller local level health plan leaders that get together to talk about quality um, different medical director areas, uh, regulatory and compliance. So they've been fantastic and just a great group of people that really share a ton of good information together. Uh, in terms of a, a kind of more professional organization or conference organization, you know, I think getting into the tech world is just really important right now. So anything from HIMSS or RISE, um, those types of leadership technology conferences are so critical to the market right now. Um, you know, I think everyone sort of loves hymns as their default, but I would say just because of that, you know, the Rise Conference, if you haven't been there before, is a a really great one to check out too. If you're you're a fan of the hymns style technology conferences. All right, wonderful. And could you please recommend one book that our listeners will benefit from, but also share why they will benefit? Yeah. So. You know, it's interesting because 90% of my day is just reading regulatory briefs and compliance briefs all day that I wish I had so much more time for reading books. And so when I was thinking about the book that's inspired me a lot, one of the most recent ones, slightly older book, I think from 2003, 2006, but it's called The Nun and the Bureaucrat. Uh, and it is a story of two hospital systems and the work that two leaders put into place to completely reform their hospital systems. Uh, it was also a PBS documentary that was done, and then this book was released after it. But after reading it, they paint such a crystal clear vision of what they actually successfully did. And I find in quality, when it can get very muddy, the waters that you're in, having a book that kind of cuts through all that mud and just kind of says, here's a crystal clear plan on what two hospitals did to improve their rates on certain areas was just such a sobering book to read. So I would say that that is just a really good book for some really kind of hard truths about quality and measurement. That's wonderful. I've had that book recommended to me before, but I've never followed through on it. So I appreciate you bringing that back up. It's um, it's something that I think I will have to put on my reading list, like for real, for real this time. It's a good one. It caught me off guard. Anthony, you are almost at the finish line for our interview today, but uh, the next question that I have for you is a personal favorite because I like to get you to simultaneously reflect on your past while having you look forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Would love for you to take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? That's a that's a fantastic question. And, you know, honestly, I was kind of thinking through this, and this is probably one of the most interesting and difficult questions I've actually been asked before because you learn so much throughout your career. But in terms of my past, it would have to be don't try and invent the wheel. Uh, I spent the first six years of, of my career standing up a quality program that some of the other players like the Uniteds, the Kaisers, the Aetnas, the Humanas of the world had probably figured out far before me. Um, so you can imagine that. It was kind of like somebody was sitting there with a game plan and a playbook out there, and I kind of ignored the playbook and just said, like, oh, I'm just going to figure this out and create it from scratch, I guess, um, when I really didn't need to do that. So, you know, that was my lesson learned on, um, you know, don't don't reinvent the wheel. Just kind of keep moving forward and see what's already been done. And then for my future self, uh, it would really be stay curious. 
you know, what, what we do in quality today is not going to be what is going to work in quality in 10 years from now. So, you know, I was kind of mentioning things around like natural language processing, new ways to track uh, different data requirements, things like that. You know, 10 years from now, NLP could be the standard, right? Some of these interconnective data points that we talk about with, you know, sharing information could just be the standard by then. So, you know, how, how do you how do you really constantly keep innovating when what you're doing right now just seems to work so well? If you're sitting at the 95th percentile for some of your rates and a perfect score in your compliance programs, it's really hard to suddenly flip the script and change that overnight into something new, something different, and to want to change. But it's just so critical to make sure that even when you think you're at the top of your game, there's always a way to make it better. And so I would say stay curious is my, my future one to myself. Wonderful. I love both of those messages, and I think they apply uh, 100% to quality professionals. So, uh, again, thank you for, for giving us that input. And, uh, Anthony, uh, I am so proud to say you've made it successfully through the entire interview. Right. Uh, um, job well done. Great, great points of feedback and value that you share with us, share with us today. But, uh, Anthony, before I let you go, I would love for you to give our quality people a parting piece of advice uh, and share the best way that they can follow or connect with you on social media, and then we'll sign off. Yeah, I would say just kind of my last parting piece is invest in your people. You know, I'm, I am where I am because, you know, even being young, coming into quality and in, within 14 years, uh, you know, I've I've been able to build just such an amazing career because people along the way have just given me opportunity after opportunity to build it. So, you know, invest in your people. And the best way to follow me is just, you know, through LinkedIn. Um, you know, I have a pretty big following on there, and, and usually I'm pretty active on it. So I would just encourage people to, to follow me there. All right, wonderful. Well, Anthony, thank you so much again for everything that you've shared this evening. And to our quality people everywhere, thank you for listening and making us a part of your day. Have a great one, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.